This is Paul from Pod Clubhouse, and today I'm here with Kat from Shuffle Online. Say hi, Kat. Hey, how are y'all? Well, y'all, we're all doing fine. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're here to talk about the very first episode of TNT's Snowpiercer. Have you seen the movie Snowpiercer? So I actually watched it uh, at the beginning of this quarantine that we're in. So seven weeks ago, that was the first time I watched it. Oh, okay. Um, on a Netflix party. So I was a bit distracted because I was a little chatty and playing into that. But my first impression of watching it for the first time, I really enjoyed it. Very fast paced. The visuals were amazing. And so hearing that there was going to be a series, I was very intrigued to see how they would adapt it into a show. What, what about you? I saw the movie closer to when it came out. I didn't see it in the theater, but I had heard of the premise And it reminded me of a series of books that I enjoy. They're called the Silo series. Did you even know that right now there are decommissioned missile silos in the United States that have been converted into underground bunkers for rich people if worst comes to worst and they need to go hide somewhere? I think I have heard of that because there was some show or something that was like Doomsday Preppers or something like that where I saw that people do do that and it doesn't surprise me that rich people have already made plans for end of the world and make sure that they're taken care of. So Yeah, it's a real deal. The book series kind of extrapolates on that, right? Because it creates this whole caste system of where you live and what rights you have and all that kind of stuff. And it very much reminds me of what's going on in the train. And that's what intrigued me in the first place about this. But then the movie itself had such stylish direction and storytelling and kind of outlandish uh, performances like by Tilda Swinton and others. It was hard to take your eyes off. So I was excited. I mean, that's Bong Joon-ho, right? So (laughs) it was, it was, it was a really good. So I was surprised. I mean, I hadn't, I wish I would have watched it earlier, but it's actually perfect timing that I watched it recently and then watching this show, I think, because it's fresh in my mind. (laughs) It's crazy to see, uh, Captain America in not Captain America. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To me anyway. Very dingy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So normally when I cover a premiere, I like to talk about the characters and the general plot, stuff that stands out and whether or not you like it enough to keep watching it. So as we mentioned, this is based on a movie. And for the first 10 minutes of the show, I was thinking they're just remaking the movie. (laughs) (laughs) But then fortunately, it took a turn. It took a left turn and introduced this whole murder aspect to the story that definitely adds a lot of shelf life to the show, makes it last a lot longer than two hours, because you can turn it into a procedural police show a little bit and kind of layer on the intrigue and the class system stuff. But essentially, I mean, some of your plots are already there, you know, 
What did you think about the decision to add something like a murder as a scheme to drive the first season's story forward? Well, first off, I agree with you on on the fact that um, the beginning of the show was very similar, if not exact, to the movie. And I was like, okay, like I, it kind of turned me off a little bit because I was like, is this going to be the same thing? I mean, you <laughs> you, you expect a little bit of a of similarities but then also i wanted to take on its own thing because then what's the point right i can just watch the movie but i realized why they did that it's because they want you to feel familiar with it if you were a fan of the movie and then for those who don't know anything who haven't watched the movie it's a good introduction to this world so when i realized that i was like okay it's fine and then when this murder plot comes in because i was expecting it to kind of play out you know the same way and when this plot twist came about. I actually really enjoyed that because it brought it back to TV. I watch a lot of TV and a serial killer on the loose detective has to find it is one of the things that is very is very familiar in TV and then putting it in this setting. On the one hand, I did feel a little trivial in some ways because this is Snowpiercer. Like, why is there why do they need somebody from the tail end? When it's right. been seven years, to, they didn't to, bring any cops. Yeah, yeah, like it's it does seem like okay, this is a little bit far fetched, but you know what? It's intriguing, and if it has to move, if it moves the plot forward, and obviously there's more to come, so it was just a really interesting way that they threw this in to kind of, like you said, make the shelf life longer because without it, I don't think it would have made it. I mean, there's no like, what else is there going to be? It's a thousand and one cars long. So, I mean, they could make getting to the engine last forever (laughs) if if they wanted to, you know. But, yeah, there'd be only so much of that sort of what's in this car kind of stuff that would um, continue to amuse us week in and, and week out. Speaking of the beginning, they used a kind of a stylish animation to open the show rather than standard special effects like the movie did. What do you think about that? And do you think we'll see any more of that animation to come? At first, since we were watching an advanced copy, I thought, oh, are they going to insert the special effects later? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then when I realized, no, this is probably it. And I actually really enjoyed it. It's different because we see so much special effects and, and, and CGI in so much of our action films and uh, just normal TV and things. And I think it was nice. It was a nice change because it threw me off. And I was like, was not expecting that. And I do hope they include that more in the future, maybe if they're doing um, in the future episodes, because it, it seems weird that it would just be a one off. Right. Like, what do you think? I would like to see it used here and there. It's almost like a motion graphic explanation, like like you like say. Have you ever seen The Kingdom? Is that the the show or no? The movie with Jamie Fox and the former Mrs. Ben Affleck. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, um, what's her name? Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner and yeah. and Jason Bateman. It's no, a Peter I, Berg I, I movie. Think, no, I think I missed that one. But if it's Peter Berg, I want to watch that. <laughs> yeah, well, Coach Taylor's in it for about ten minutes. <sighs> But in the beginning of that movie, there it kind of explains why there are problems between the Middle East and America. And it does it with this great animation that just one thing kind of flows into the next and it's done just sort of in silhouette and stark colors. And it's one of the most effective presentations I've ever seen that explains uh, a fairly complicated topic in a very short amount of time. And that kind, that style is what the opening animation of Snowpiercer reminded me of. They needed to get, they need to tell us a lot of things about, you know, the earth having been ruined. And then as, as we get further into the opening, we find out that it's 
119 degrees Celsius outside. That's pretty wicked cold, you know? Absolute zero is only 273 degrees below zero, I think. Don't don't uh, quote me on that, <laughs> but uh, that gives you an that gives you an idea of the scale, right? They're not too far off. <laughs> yeah, no, I would I definitely wouldn't want to be outside. <laughs> no, speaking of the opening, we that's the first uh, character we really get to meet. We we see some stuff happen with Taylor's, you know, families getting split up and all that. But the first character we really lay eyes on good is Jennifer Connelly's character, Melanie. There's a lot. There with Melanie and, and with Jennifer Connelly in particular, it seems like she's on a little little bit of a rise here. It seems like I just saw her in, in Alita Battle Angel after not seeing her for like years. And then she's in this uh, as a pretty major role. I love Jennifer Connelly. So it's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to watch this show besides also loving the movie, but you need more than that, right? <laughs> to, <laughs> right. To, to, to invest time in. And um I was curious to see why she would want to do this TV show, but she's in the, one of the lead roles, and I think it fits her well because she's one of those actors who can, she, she can be so sincere, but she also has a little bit, if she plays it up, you don't know what her intentions are. And I think for what she is playing right now in this role as Melanie, I couldn't tell. Like She has a good poker face. It's like, I know there's something more to what you're saying, and I, you might be evil, or you might have a very complicated backstory and she's able to play that so well. And I think she's uh, was probably a really good choice for Melanie. She's doling out information just a little bit at a time to Andre. It seems like if you really wanted to get this murder solved, you might lay more cards on the table, but she's only given him just, just a little bit, you know, and she's, she's kind of hardball with the negotiations. She could offer him a lot and then take it all back later, you know, but instead she's just offering kind of like the bare minimum. You get to move up a car, <laughs> you know? Yeah. She never plays it like, we need you. She's just kind of like, oh, you know, I think you're going to do it. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so I really like that about her character. She's so just even keel right now. Like, as we can see in this, in the pilot episode, she's not breaking, you know, maybe at the end she does a little bit and we can talk about that later, but she's just so calm, collected, as opposed to Andre's character, Layden, or Andre Layden. So, um, who's played by David Diggs, who I love too. I'm looking forward to seeing her more in the show in this. Well, let's talk about Andre. They call him Leighton most of the time, but they do mention his first name when they summon him. Uh, Andre Leighton has been uh, requested for removal. Now, it seems like there's some interesting stuff going on there relationship-wise. Throughout this episode, we learn a lot about Andre, including, as we've already mentioned, that he was a homicide detective. Okay, well, that's why he's needed the little boy, Miles. You might say I'm 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 silly here, but is he Andre's kid, or is he Josie's kid, or is he no one's kid, and they just sort of act like his parents? Yeah, I was a little confused on that. I need to watch the beginning again when they're all getting thrust into the train because it looks like he was uh, holding on to somebody. Then they, I think he, I thought he had got separated from his parents, and then he just hid underneath the yeah yeah. The I thing. thought his mom got thrown off the train or something. Isn't yeah. That right? Yeah, I thought he was an orphan, and then they just kind of took him on. Okay. But I, I don't know if we're wrong about that. Maybe in the second episode we could figure it out. But I mean, he it, calls he, Josie mom, but yeah. that kid doesn't look much older than 10, maybe. Mm -hmm. And this is almost seven years going. 
So that's most of his life. That's <laughs> if she took him under his wing, then she's his mom. Yeah, I think I mean, I think that would just be the nature of them being in the tail end and there was nobody else and she took him under her wing. And so he considers her his mom. But yeah, I think that's a little bit uh, muffled. Going back to Andre, speaking of Josie, those two seem to have that kind of connection. Do you think it's a romantic connection or do you just think it's just like, you know, they're the same age, they kind of like each other, but that's about it. It was hard to tell. Especially in the tail end, like, where do you go and do that kind of stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Is my, I was thinking like logistics. I was like, oh. A lot of curtains. Yeah, a lot of curtains. But we, I mean, we learned later in the episode, Layden says it himself in terms of that relationship when he's kind of pinged on it is that it was about survival. So it makes me wonder whether it's more about, well, she was there and I like her and that's all that there is besides the other people. So it's kind of out of necessity because you obviously need to love some, you, you want that connection. I mean, if they're physical or romantically linked, I don't know if it was by choice or by circumstance. Definitely emotionally connected. But yeah, we're not yeah. sure. We're not sure what else. So later in this episode, we also meet Zara, who apparently was at some, either married or with Andre when the freeze happened. That was an interesting thing to run into because they had mentioned that that someone had left the tail some time ago, right? What, what was it? Two years. So then we find out that it's Andre's. I don't know, wife might be the right word, but something. They were together when they got on the train. I mean, he does call her his ex. Yeah. um, And it's interesting because in terms of show plots and stuff, like apparently she's the one that told him he was a detective. And it's like, did they just really take it at face value? Were they able to actually source that he was a detective? Like, what did you think about that? Um, That kind of thing? Because for me... Um, in terms of show, like it seems a little loosey goosey. That whole sequence where we meet her and the other two suspects that are in the area that they call the chains, which apparently is sort of like a free spirit trailer park <laughs> jammed into a train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, before the part that we saw, she must have been questioned. Right. Because she is listed amongst the suspects that he needs to sort out. So in that discussion, when she's being questioned, she says, oh, my ex is a detective and he likes tomato soup and (laughs) grilled cheese sandwiches. That's I don't know that maybe you think that maybe like she might have used that as like a bargaining chip. Maybe like, see, I'm not it wasn't me. I'll even tell you a cop to to come and help solve this thing. Now that you're bringing that up, it does feel that feels a lot more like a setup. Because why would you let a suspect tell you anything, especially when they have told us uh, throughout the episode that they do more punishment, you know, like they cut people's limbs off and things like that. Like, why would they listen to a suspect in that aspect? So it just seems like there's a lot more that we don't know that they're not telling Andre a lot more at play here that we're probably going to learn later on. Um, But I do have a question for you because... um, I, well, it's just a food thing because I love food. Um, but we learned that Andre's ex is the one that that uh, basically says, hey, if you want to lure him in, I guess, uh, I guess give him some tomato soup and a grilled cheese. So uh, what would uh, Caroline pick for you to lure you into doing doing a job? Like, what would be the meal that would be in front of you? Man, I'm really a burger guy. So I'm really easy to please that way. And they don't even need to be that elaborate. It's, it's like, uh, you remember, you might not because you're kind of young, but there used to be a character on a TV show called Popeye and his name was Wimpy. And Wimpy 
would do anything for a cheeseburger. I'm afraid I have too many things in uh, common with Wimpy. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What would what would lure you? Is it a is it a taco? Because I know you're you're partial to tacos. I don't know. The first thing that comes to my mind would be just a Chewy's nachos, like the ponchos with beef fajita and jalapenos, and I could probably do anything you ask. <laughs> Austin Chewy's, yeah. Yeah, Austin yeah. Chewy's. Um, yeah. I've been trying to convince my husband to uh, let us order takeout from there, but I've only done it once in seven weeks, so it's okay. <laughs> Man, he's he's put the clamps on your on your uh, coronavirus exposure, huh? Yeah, I got to get on a train and get my last meal. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Maybe they'll be like, we need a podcaster. And you'd be like, that's me. I'm, I'm your person. <laughs> I like that he also was like, oh, can I get seconds? I was like, that would totally be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you don't know when that when they're going to shut off the gravy train there, right? So you might as well. It was really interesting to see this whole episode of them trying to lure Layden to be their detective. Like, it seems like he has no reason to not do it. Like, they, they have, like, they can force him to do it, like, do it or die. And so, what did you think of that whole thing of like them trying to really convince him through the food, through going through all these things? Like, you'll have this, or, you know, you're going to have a better life than being in the tail section. Because it seemed like they were trying really hard. At least like Melanie's character was too and everybody to really like they really need his expertise is what they're is what they're what they were telling us. Like he's the only one that can solve this. So what did you think of that whole thing? Because it to me it's a little odd. Like they've been on the train for seven years. Why do they need this person now who was in the tail section who they don't consider very valuable? So it's not hard to swallow. I'm just trying to f- it's just a, uh, is it just a show thing? <laughs> like, well, it's- now that you mention it, if this was Lost, for instance, then Melanie would sort of be like Ben. And Ben, if we're thinking that way, would have killed Sean himself if he had some reason to summon Andre from the tale, but without making a big production out of it. I think it would be more of a kerfluffle if they would have just said, come up from the tail to my office, that would have been more weird than saying, okay, you have a special vocation. I need you to come apply that and, and that will bring you forward. So in the Ben Linus world, he would have killed that person just to have that excuse to bring him forward. What do you think of that? I think that's pretty accurate. Oh my God, Ben is one of the worst characters on television, but also one of the greatest. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. He was so annoying, but it was... I, I appreciated that. It was really good. Yeah, I guess you're right. And I guess I'm just trying to think in the Snowpiercer world where they just go to brutality and, you know, they treat these people horribly, like on the tail section. It's just interesting that they're taking one of them to help solve something. Well, I guess it's all about balance, right? Because the whole uh, Mr. Wilfred is his whole uh, order is about balance and now something's out of place. And I guess in the sense of they don't know who it is. And so it could be an inside job. Obviously, it probably it is. So they need someone who hasn't been in that world. Right. To just kind of right. go at it uh, with S- fresh some, eyes. Someone in the, in the higher and the upper classes might have some other agenda that could be damaging, right, to them because they're all in the same playing field. But a Taley has totally different worldview and things that they're worried about. He's worried about feeding other Taylies and letting them hump every so often. <laughs> but that's about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. 
if you gotta root out the corruption, you need someone who doesn't give a shit about any of them, like who's not gonna take sides. It's interesting though, when we talk about sides, I, I thought I picked up a hint that Andre is prone to playing all options. Like, for instance, he's part of the Revolution Planning Committee, which means that he's part of the decision-making group that says when we attack, how we're going to attack, what we're going to do, all that kind of stuff. But then, in the quiet moments with Miles, he's encouraging him to become an apprentice and get out of the tail, kind of through going through channels like that, which means to me, that he doesn't quite think the revolution is going to work. So he's got to play both sides. Well, if we're sticking to the lost references, <laughs> you could say that he's kind of like a jack. Like, it's kind of seeing all options instead of more, um, I would say, Pike, who's more aggressive and like, we got to go kill them now, kill everybody now, is more like Sawyer. Like, let's just go do this. Right. Go, go do this stuff now. And then and Layden is, is more logical. He know, and it makes sense that he's a detective. Like he thinks through everything. So I think he knows you're not going to just uh, go through all these cabins, kill all the people that are going to come after us. Like that's not going to work. And so I guess he does have like a backup plan. Like this is the way we actually need to do it. And if he dies in the revolution, he's trying to set up Miles to be like, hey, this is what you actually need to do. Yeah. <laughs> like giving him, gi giving him advice. Like, don't worry about the revolution. Like, it's probably not going to happen. So you got to get yourself out this way, which is more logical, probably more rational. So, yeah, but that's interesting because he seems like he's already a very complicated character, different from Captain America in the movie <laughs> very version. Very much. Because in the movie version, it's very gung-ho. They have one mission. They're trying to get from the end to the front, and that's it. That's the whole movie. Very fast-paced. And in this one, they they have to slow it down. If you had seen the movie, I was expecting... I mean, I wasn't expecting fast-paced because it, it would get tiresome for 10 hours of television. Yeah. But I was wondering how it was going to work in a television format since that, the movie was so fast-paced. What did you think of, of this pace, you know, the way that they're kind of unraveling it? So far, this feels like a really deliberately constructed show where they're giving us a little bit to go on. And like at the end of this, they give us like an amazing, not exactly cliffhanger, but just like a piece of information that's like, wow, I didn't expect that. And, and I didn't know this was a show that was going to do that kind of switcheroo on us. So I definitely want to keep going. You know, I want to see the next one right away. So far, it's a good job. It reminded me a lot of Battlestar Galactica. Did you watch Battlestar Galactica? I saw the first few seasons, but I, it was a while ago, so I, I can't remember exactly. There was a certain like grittiness to a lot of the scenes, especially where it had to do with the colonial civilians and the conditions that they had to live in just to survive because they didn't really have the room for people so much anywhere. And there's, so there's just sort of this rough and ready kind of approach to uh, the way that they have their bunks and all that kind of stuff. And very much reminded me texturally, I guess, of that. And that was a good thing. I've been missing that show. <laughs> so I was okay with that. One thing that reminded me of, uh, of another show is uh, Jennifer Connelly and the character Melanie and her kind of co-worker. Ruth. Ruth. They're in that bright blue and it just reminded me of The Handmaid's Tales blue um, mm. the wives and I was like oh that's that's not a good color if we're going by that token <laughs> yeah well the, the the front of the train does seem very deliberately 
laid out with colors and certain textures, like very nice wood. You know, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a wood guy, so I can't tell you what kind of wood and all that. But I do know that it's like heavily lacquered, fine wood. But other than that, it's just meant to look very clean. And uh, you're right. That's part of the Handmaid's Tale aesthetic is the austereness <laughs> of it. And this has that in common. I thought for this kind of show, obviously it's on TV, so I'm not sure what their budget is. I'm sure TNT fed some bucks into it, you know, because they wanted to do well with the whole Bong Joon-ho and his yeah. success. Um, so I know they're going to be pushing it. But I thought the production value was actually pretty good. Um, yeah. Because sometimes it's hit or miss with cable shows, depending on what their budget is in terms of special effects. And this one, especially visual effects, too, because this one is going to be a lot of outside shots of the train. Um but I think given that it's a lot of cabins and they're able to kind of like they don't have to do a lot of the visual effects, which mm-hmm. I think helped a lot in, in, in this episode. So I was happy to see that the production value seems really good. Like it's it's good quality because I was a little worried about how it was going to translate because the first the movie was so good in that aspect and so detailed. And so this one, I was surprised to see a lot of the uh, detail well, there's a lot of like train action, you know, there's, yeah. you can hear the, the train going over stuff and then you can see them kind of readjust, you know, how they're standing to compensate for the fact that they just got nudged over or whatever. So I wonder if the sets are on gimbals or something like they use for rooms that they're going to shake or, you know, that sort of thing. That'd be interesting to, to find out or if they just all yell, lean to the left, kind of like they did with Star Trek. <laughs> Yeah. What did you think about the the production design and and so far, like what you saw? Because they actually showed us a lot of different cabins in this episode. Like I thought we were only going to see a few and they gave us a lot in the pilot. Uh, a lot of different rooms. What what did you think about about what they were showing us? Oh, I liked it. I thought it represented the idea of the class system built into the train very well. I think there's a lot of room in between to see other things because we've seen what we what I think is going to be first class. And we've seen some of third class. I don't know that we've seen any of the in between classes, if there's just second or other ones in there. When I think about the Turner broadcasting shows, I know that some networks, when when peak TV sort of turned into a thing, they just started making TV shows like crazy. But I don't know that TNT did that. I think they just made a couple of TV shows. One of those was The Last Ship, and that ended last years-ish. So I think they were looking for their big money project after that ended. Do you know anything about the production? I think it started it on TBS. Not that it really matters. It's all Turner. But do you know anything about it? I don't. But when I was uh, doing research for this, I was like, what's the last TNT show that I or what is the last thing that I watched on TNT? <laughs> and uh, because it's all HBO, Netflix, Hulu, um, stars. And I was like, I have not watched anything on TNT for a long time. Yeah. And so this was really interesting to me to watch Snowpiercer. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what a TNT show would feel like, but it did feel, I mean, not to the level of HBO, but it felt like it's at the caliber of what TV is now. And and so I was very impressed (laughs) because I I guess I just hadn't been in tune with TNT (laughs) in the last few years. They don't have like a slate of programming that they put out all at once. You know, like they have a show called Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of that one, actually. So that one, I know people say it's really good. So... And they have another one that, well, I think it was just a miniseries called I Am the Night that had Chris Pine in it. And yes. Chris Pine is a movie actor, so I imagine getting him on TV was not like the cheapest thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> yeah. 
it just shows that they're very they're being very select on what they're doing because the TV landscape is so vast right now that if you just try to pump out content, you're not going to win because that's what Netflix and Hulu are doing or Amazon. So them being very select in what they're choosing to do is smart. And the fact that they got Snowpiercer from Bong Joon-ho and he just happens to be the hottest thing in the world <laughs> this year. Yeah, like what a, what a great choice. And uh, it brought someone like me who is not a regular TNT <laughs> watcher to it. So I just found that aspect really interesting just because of the scope of TV and the way that I've been consuming TV and TNT had not been on my radar at all. Yeah, not very much. No, I did cover The Last Ship for a couple different websites, but that was it for me in TNT or TBS. So yeah, it was nice to see that they're keeping up with like the, I would say the effects of the world. Well, I, I did notice that Bong Joon-ho is an executive producer. Yeah. So yeah. I also wonder... A lot of Korean how, names in there too. Yeah. So I wonder how much of... I'm sure he had to like kind of let go of the reins a bit, but I wonder how much of his influence, like I needed to be at this level before I like sign off on it, you know, that kind of thing. Well, he's not the showrunner. He's just one of the... EPs. He's sort of or, the yeah. sort of the JJ Abrams of it. Yeah. Right? Um let's see, what has this guy done? He has whoa, this this guy's serious. His name is Graham Manson, and he previously ran Orphan Black. Oh, just a little old show right. that Orphan Black. Just some of the most complicated um you know, <laughs> twinning, I guess is what the right word uh, on on TV ever. Complicated. I mean, the I have a lot of respect for Tatiana and her ability to yes. play different uh, characters like that. It was just amazing. Yeah, so that's why I think this pilot to me is a little deceiving because it's so like they're setting up a bunch of, of they have to set up the, that's a whole thing of a pilot. They set up things so you can continue watching and then they unravel everything. And so they there's been there's a little strands of everything that we talked about. But given the fact that it's, they've made two seasons of this, so there's a lot of story that we're going to see for sure. We're going to see Sean Bean, and he hasn't even shown up yet. <laughs> I know. I, was, I saw that. I was like, I'm sold. I don't care. <laughs> um, I bet it's going to get crazy. Like, and and knowing that the creator is, um, or the you know the person who developed this is uh, from Orphan Black. I mean, it's, it's probably going to get in there. <laughs> yeah, there was there was like nowhere they wouldn't go. Uh, on Orphan Black. No one they wouldn't kill, no one they wouldn't maim to make the story gripping and like, I can't stop watching this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So this all kind of builds up to the revolution that was being planned and sort of derailed when Andre was taken to go try to solve this this murder one afternoon. So they decide to stage their revolution anyway without him. They do this cool switcheroo with the body of Yvonne. And was that Salamanca from um, Breaking Bad? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to look at that. Um, Mark Margolis. And Mark Margolis is definitely Hector Salamanca from Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Why isn't he on the top of this? Oh, it's probably because he's not in Because he's just in one episode. <laughs> yeah. His character is a interesting and sort of welcome departure from the movie because if you recall in the movie his character is played by uh john hurt who we all know from alien and the chest bursting scene that's the same guy um <laughs> yes. and in this we find out that in the movie that his character was in cahoots with mr wilford and was sort of in the tale i think as a as a spy if i recall 
he was having conversations with uh, Mr. Wilford. That was kind of a shock to, uh, I'm just going to keep saying Captain America. Um, uh, Captain America, he was like, what the fuck? Like, this is someone who I was, I looked up to or was kind of a mentor in, in a way. And then he knew that he found out that he was in cahoots at the very end, which is like a twist. Yeah, um, and that may and, still be coming, but they killed him right away here. Well, I mean, that brings up a, a good point of um, there are quite a few things in the pilot where and they trick us in the beginning, like we mentioned, it's familiar territory from the movie. But then they kind of go off on these different plots and also go against what some of the movie things like killing off that character. And then what we learn at the end, I like that they played with it. it's like, oh, you think you're going to know you think you know what you're getting into. And it's like, we're going to go off on a different journey, which I which I love, because if it's going to be the same thing, then what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Well, they might still pull that same shit with his character. But I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, why kill him in the pilot if if that was going to be the deal? You don't get an idea of how important he was to Andre if he was. It just sort of seemed like um, the tail mascot, basically, because he was yeah. probably the oldest amongst them. Maybe they're going to use it in a different aspect, like the fact that Layden is a detective and he's going to take on this case. And I think maybe they'll use that as a story tool to also, he's going to be finding out all this shit about everyone. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe that's going to be the way he also uncovers the real, whatever that guy was. Because obviously he was important, but the fact that he killed himself is interesting. So it's not going to be the way that we thought it was going to be from the movie. Let's see. So we've covered Melanie. We've covered Andre. We've talked about Josie for as much as we know about her. Talked (laughs) about Miles. Talked about old Yvonne, who... I mean, he wouldn't know how to tune a piano, but that could all just have been bullshit. You know, that whole whole thing. So who knows? Pike, he's a very recognizable face if you're a TV watcher. I know him best from The Walking Dead and uh, Westworld, um, but I swear I've seen him on other things, like maybe in the Arrowverse or or something, um, just all over the place. Do you think... Pike is coming back. I mean, at the end, they they basically say that, that she's willing to put the some of them into the drawers. I, I assume Pike is going to be one of them. But do you think he's going to bother taking Pike back out <laughs> in the future? I hope so. I mean, it would be a total loss for him, like such a major character, which I, I love him from. What's his, what's his real actor's name? Stephen Ogg. I don't know if they're doing their little IMDb thing, like, you know, where they don't post it, but then he does come back. <laughs> Oh, no, he is there for six episodes. Okay. Well, when Andre goes back and says, you know, when they're having this revolution and it's basically at a standstill because they can't move on because they're getting defeated. He's like, I'm going to go talk to them. And he talks to Pike and he obviously is not going to side with these people, like with the other people who they just offered him this thing. But it's like, dude, I've been in the tail end for seven years and you've been treating me like shit. Like, you know, like it would just be weird for him to take that side so i think he will definitely bring pike out and there's going to be some kind of um dealings i I think uh maybe a quiet revolution now that he's kind of on the inside per se oh yeah i mean it seems like he's going to bide his time find a way to get them out and start some shit somewhere in the middle of the train but after he has more allies in place that was something that i couldn't quite sort out was if they're in the tail and the front of the train doesn't care about them at all Like, they don't even bring them up to do menial labor or anything like that. They just stay back there, and that's it. 
there's a moment where Andre says that they're working on building networks and that they need to let some of that mature before they have their revolution. I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. How? There's no way around the fact that you can't physically get to or talk to these people. Did you have any insight into how what he might be talking about? Yeah, that was another layer that I'm like, okay, they're planting the seeds of there's shit that we just don't know yet. And um, it's it's different than the movie. So people can't like be like, oh, well, this is what's going to happen, which I love because it's like, you know, there's always the theory, the theorists. But yeah, it, it is interesting that he obviously has like a long game, you know, like something has been going on the in the years that they've been on the train. And I wonder how they've been communicating with other people in the cabin, mm-hmm. because from what we know, there's no communication. But there must be something because his wife left to become, I mean, he basically accused her of becoming some kind of prostitute by the by the sounds of it. I mean, the, the night house or whatever he called it, it doesn't sound like, you know, go be a bank teller. <laughs> Well, he does say like, oh, you moved on real quick. And then she was like, well, you did too. And then he's like, no, I just had to survive. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. So that was, that. that's also a question that I have for future episodes is like, or f- the season is if you can get out, which they alluded to, but you, I guess you have to only do certain things. Like she was able to get out. How? And another question is like, why don't they just kill the tailors? You know, obviously they need them for something. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the opening, it seems like uh, when when the guards found the people invading the tail, they brutally dealt with them, you know, threw them off the train, chopped them up and all that kind of stuff until they just kind of retreated and shut them all in. And then they decided to feed them bricks of protein. If you, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if they will be the same kind of protein as they were in the movie. Oh, that, it's funny because I was about to eat when I was watching this. I was like, oh no, let me eat first and then, <laughs> and then watch this show. Right. I have a thing with gritty shows. I can't eat and watch it. Like I could watch Walking Dead stuff, but I can't watch this kind of show that's like dingy and gritty. Like it just, it grosses me out. But yeah, they did mention that they're stopping their reproductive rights. Yeah. So that's something that Andre, when he was trying to negotiate but failed to, is like, we want reproductive rights. So they're also trying to fight to keep their people going. Like I loved one of the one of my favorite parts of the episode was like, Yeah, I'm the last Australian. We need to reproduce. Yeah. And that guy's <laughs> apparently in a ton of episodes. So I guess he qualifies as comic relief because this is a pretty dark show. So you need a, a few laughs uh, every every episode, at least a laugh. And he was he was it <laughs> for, for this one. It's going to be uh, interesting how this unfolds, because I think one of the things that after watching the pilot is making me excited for the rest of the season is that there was so much in the movie because the movie was so gung ho, like one mission. We saw the cabins, but we didn't really get to stay in them because it was like one to the next, one to the next. It was all about just, you know, moving on, killing, getting to what they wanted. In the first episode, you really get to kind of see a bunch of the cabins, which I think we'll dive into a little bit more. We get to see a bit of the first class folk who I'm guessing are going to be more characters, more in depth. So it's nice that the TV show is going to be able to kind of explore that where the movie didn't, you know, like we didn't have a lot of character depth. It was more about themes and bigger picture, bigger ideas and, and things like that. So this, like we have to kind of tie into, like we have to buy into Layden. Like, is he someone you want to follow and root for given this introduction that you had with him? So far, yes. I think that there may be some, something more to him, maybe even something dark to him that, that they haven't revealed just yet. But there's enough of him 
that I can respect the way that he looks at things, the way that he thinks about things, the way that he relates to people. Some of the easiest to like entertainment is this stuff where you can put yourself into the shoes of the main character. And I can do that with Andre to some extent. I mean, not all of it, but <laughs> but, but enough for me to for me to like the guy. What about you? Yeah, I think he's not so easy to read, which I like in characters. If you can figure out a character up front, then there's no fun in it. And I think with these characters, Andre and Melanie, I like both of them right now. I know one is going to kind of maybe skew a little more uh, to the dark side, but you never know because it's all about survival. So who knows what Andre is going to do? So I like that both essentially what they're setting up like good and bad characters like it's very gray Mm. in the show and so i think that's interesting to start with because usually it's the other way around there's like good bad and then it kind of you know goes and then people change but from the get-go everyone is a little like what have they not done to survive so they're all a little in the gray right now so for next episode i can only predict a couple things One is there's a moment when Melanie says that Mr. Wilford asks for a significant arm as punishment for the six lives lost of of the people that they care about. I'm sure they killed lots of tailies, but they but they only care about the six guards that they lost. So when they say significant arm, there's only one guy with really significant arms in the tail, and that's the one they call Strong Boy. So I think he's going to get the arm treatment next week. That's one theory. What do you think about that? Take out the the muscle, right? (laughs) Yeah, cutting off Jamie's hand, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that, I mean, that would be a good move if I was Mr. Wilford, a.k.a. (laughs) Right. Spoiler. I don't know if we're going to give away the spoiler, but... Uh, We're uh, assuming people have watched the show. Okay, yeah. So Melanie is basically Mr. Wilford that we know. Yeah, as far as we know, she's the boss. And also, I just want to say, I loved, there was two shots of her where um, she's a boss lady. So she is having a drink. She takes off her heels and she's like, oh, you know, like they, like they, they make a point to emphasize like her taking off her heels and like rubbing her feet. And then she does it at the end again. And then she gets into her sweats. And I was like, yes, like that is so awesome to see like mega boss lady. And then she just, you know, long day of work. <laughs> Taking care of Snowpiercer right. and, then going to, and then just getting in her sweats. And, and it was like, that was very relatable in terms of like working lady, heels, all that kind of thing. So I enjoyed that. If you had one thought of her character being pitted as the bad guy for this show, just because, you know, that's the way it's kind of set up. If you had just watched that scene of her getting off shift, putting on her sweats and going to sit in the in the cab of the of the train, why would you think that she's the bad one? <laughs> you, you know, that's all pretty normal stuff. That's what I was saying in, in terms of they, they played it so well. And then Jennifer Connelly plays it so well. It's like in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, she has to be the bad one. But then we see her in these moments of vulnerability where she's just a girl in sweats and she's just, you know, she's going to man the train and, and she's doing her job. So it was interesting to end on that note, which I love, yeah. though, like the shot of the way they ended it was was visually it was really stunning. I think that's what made me feel like, oh, this is going to be a really good quality show. Do you, do you think Ruth and the other people on that echelon know that she is Miss Mr. Wilford? Well, if that guy, um, the guy who was manning it, knows, but he could be the only one. Right. 
I hope for the show's sake that no one else knows because that would make it more interesting, right? Yeah. Like, and if if Andre ends up finding out, like, oh, she's uh, that's probably going to be an ultimate showdown one one day in the future. Of he finds out that she's she's actually Mister Wolford and the things that she's done. Oof, that's going to be that's that, a showdown. That, that is that is uh, a great unsung trope i guess of good tv at least the tv that i enjoy is when they when you meet the bad guy initially and then two seasons later the person that you thought was in charge of all the evil on the show is actually just middle management and there's someone else <laughs> that's pulling the strings man that i love that kind of stuff so that 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 kind of thing could be coming as far as we know you know cuz they already have 2 years worth of this show so she would be very motivated to keep the secret that she's Mr. Wilford, because the chances are, if there is like an Ed Harris character like living in a hermit area somewhere on the train, then he doesn't want to be bothered at all. So for all intents and purposes, you know, she is Mr. Wilford. Yeah, and I loved the way they led. They're going to lead into the second episode, which I can predict at least one one uh, one thing is that. It's going to be bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they keep mentioning the, the rough track. My, my other prediction was just that they're going to let Nikki Jeanet out of the drawers. And I think she's going to have a lot of shit to say. And I think it's going to be whatever he thinks he knows, she's going to change that somehow. It's going to be like she's going to rock his world with whatever <laughs> she's going to tell him about what she knows before she got locked up. But that's just a guess. Yeah, and I think it, it's also um, telling that the fact that if Melanie is Mr. Wilford, which you know they, they said, so I, I'm just going to assume she is. So I'll be like, Melanie is Mr. Wilford, and it's all about balance. She's letting out someone who she put in jail, and that's an interesting choice. You know, like why she would let that person out mm -hmm. because that just seems like against keeping things in order <laughs> so it's like she's trying to stir the pot in some ways too you know like that, that's uh i feel like unless it's all part Nikki, of a plan yeah yeah so it, it could be like stirring the pot in her favor though yeah because we know like also in, the, in that end scene it was very subtle but it was when she's eating her sushi uh, you know, after work snack. And and the I, I don't know what the guy's name is, but the the conductor who was um in her mm -hmm. spot says, Oh, how come the chef who's on who's on there doesn't make a smoked salmon with avocado? It's like, is it because we don't have avocado? You know, and then she's like, Oh no, it's because we don't have wood chips for the salmon and it's like that's like the spark of what we know from the movie of shit's going down, they don't have enough resources and it, it's it's going to go to shit. And she's kind of trying to maintain that. But the, we saw a little crack there where she's like, oh, fuck, like people are getting on to us. Right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. First the wood chips, right? <laughs> yeah. Then the coffee. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what a world without avocado. <laughs> <laughs> right. Those are the things that I think about when I'm watching Stop this. the train. Let me out. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think the way it ended, it hooked me in. Like, as a pilot, I think it was pretty good. Overall, what did you think of, of the pilot in terms of, like, if people have not watched the movie, know nothing about Snowpiercer, do you think it was, like, easy to follow? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of tuned into science fiction, so maybe it's it's too easy for me. But, yeah, I thought it was all there. And even if, even if you had some questions, it's still, there are parts of it that resemble something you've seen before, whether it's a police procedural or 
you know, like we said, Lost or even Game of Thrones or, or something like that. There's enough of it that resembles those high quality TV shows to let you know that this is, this is probably going to be a good show. When I watched the pilot, I watched it maybe a week ago and I knew that I wanted to podcast about it. And so I couldn't watch the next episode. I have kind of a rule. Caroline and I have a rule about trying not to load up on TV shows that we haven't talked about yet because it kind of confuses us while we're talking and we might accidentally give something away, you know, that makes our review sort of invalid, basically. And so uh, I've been dying to watch the second one. So, so you've actually done me a favor being on the podcast tonight. So now I can watch the, the second one. I've actually caught on to that now being on the podcast. Um, <laughs> With another show I'm doing, I was gonna I was gonna watch other episodes before I was recording like the previous one. I was like, oh no, like I want to be clear headed because I've done that before, and it just skews what you're what what you feel about that one episode because you can't unknow what you know right in in the future episodes. So yeah, I agree. I'm gonna do the same like one by one talk about it um, because it gets jumbled and you don't get to appreciate it as the one episode instead of just kind of, you know, that's the binge culture we are in now. And this one I think is going to be, since it's on TNT, it also is going to be released one by one. I'm guessing not as a binge, binge series. So I think it's also good to watch it the way the audience is watching it. Snowpiercer though was good because I was wondering how it was going to be since it's not bingeable. And the way they ended it, I was like, oh, okay, cool. There is a cliffhanger. They did reveal, you know, things that they're probably going to explore throughout the standalone episode. Like, I was like, okay, this is going to be good. Hopefully. <laughs> well, I think it is also going to be good. Worth my my weekly uh, viewing. So what do you say, Kat? Are you, are you in for a, a recurring podcast with me on this? I think so. Count me in. Terrific. Or shall I say I'll get on the train with you? Yes. Everything that we say from now on should be train related <laughs> about the show. It should some train analogy or lingo. Uh, I'm going to need to learn some train lingo because I, you know, since, since we're both from Texas, we don't really have that much exposure to trains. Uh, nope. <laughs> they're not really that we gotta, big we gotta, a deal. We got we to ask Mike what you say on the subway. <laughs> right, right. Some some kind of jargon. But anyway, um, so this has been Paul with uh, Pod Clubhouse. And this is Catherine with Shuffle Online. And we will see you guys next week for the second episode of Snowpiercer. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.